Thank you, Avery. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. If you are visiting with us, again, we want to uh, welcome you and just tell you that we're happy that you have come our way. Listen, you know, I don't know how often you have come to a Church of Christ or anything like that, but if you have any questions at all about anything that um, you have heard or seen this morning or experienced or anything that you might hear from my lesson that causes some questions to come to your mind, certainly feel free to come up and, and talk to me about it afterwards. I'd count it a, a blessing and a privilege to be able to answer some of your questions. Some of your questions I may know, some of them I may not know, but uh, I can at least get you close to it. And if I don't know it, then I can direct you to someone who possibly can. And so anyway, we're just glad that you are here with us this, this morning. Before I get started, let me just make you aware of a couple of things that are coming up right directly beginning next Sunday morning we're going to start having a, a coffee bar it's gonna be a self-served bar back in the fellowship area uh, you can come before services and gather together with some folks and just acquaint yourself with one another and enjoy each other's company there will be coffee between the classes and and the worship service and then after services if you just like to maybe gather back there and have a cup of coffee and just visit along with one another then certainly take advantage of that it'd be a great fellowship connection for you and then let me uh, tell you about something that's coming up here in about a month and a half, and that is we're going to have a, a, a song service called Acapella in the Park. It's going to be a community evening of singing together with one another. We've invited the congregation from uh, Nampa and from Caldwell and, and Boise and Midvale and Fruitland. Anyway, we've invited sister congregations, and we're going to come together for just a, an evening of singing some songs with one another. There are going to be some singing groups that are, are there, but it's going to be a great night. And so let me encourage you to think about June the 12th. Prior to that, we're going to have a congregational picnic in the park at Kleiner Park. So I think it's going to be a great time. And so let me encourage you to be thinking about that date, June the 12th, as a congregational event and singing in the, the, the park. So let me ask you to use your imagination for just a moment. Imagine that uh, you were the proprietor or the owner of a secular bookstore. Now, in most secular bookstores, you know, in secular bookstores, they have a section that is called fiction, and then there is, of course, the nonfiction area. When you talk about fictionary, those are things, those are books that are there that are not about real people or places or events or history or anything like that. It's filled with possibly fantasy or mythology, but it is fiction. And then in the other section of the bookstore, you're going to have what is nonfiction. That's going to be things that are, are real, talking about real people who lived in time and, and space. It's going to be historical factual. It's going to be historically truthful. And so that is fiction and nonfiction that is in your store. So this is your store. And so it's because it's your store, where would you place the Bible? Would you place it in you know the mythology type parts or the fantasy area where Hercules and, and Jack and the Beanstalk are? Or would you put it over in the fiction with, with historical truth? Where would you place the Bible? And not only where would you place the Bible in your store, where would you place the story of Jesus? Where would Jesus be? Would Jesus be historically fictional or would he be non-fictional? Would he be up there, like I say, with fantasy or mythology or would he be a person who lived in a time and in a place and that he actually did live on this earth and that he was born in Bethlehem and that he lived or was raised in, in Nazareth and that he was a, an itinerant preacher for three and a half years that he died on a cross, was raised from uh, the dead and is seated at the right hand of God. Where would you place Jesus if this was your store? 
Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Is he fiction or is he nonfiction? Because it really centers around two things. One, his life. Two, his death. And three, his, of course, his resurrection. And how we are going to respond to it. That's why I asked that the scripture be read from Romans, the first chapter, verses 1 through 6. Because in that section of scripture, you'll find a number of things concerning the reality of Jesus Christ. And not only will you see the reality of Jesus Christ there, you'll see what is our response supposed to be? What does our response look like? And so we're going to begin by talking about the reality of Jesus. And we're going to begin by me asking you three questions as we go through this section. And in the three questions, I hope that by the time I get to the end of it, that you're going to be able to say, yes, I, I believe that. I believe that about uh, Jesus Christ, that that is something that is true. The first one has to do with, do you believe that Jesus really lived? Well, in verse 3 of that section, there it says that he was a descendant of David in the flesh, which tells us that Jesus had a bloodline, that he was, has a, a, was a biological person. Yes, he was you know, conceived of the Holy Spirit, but Joseph was his earthly father. Mary was his biological mother, and you can trace his bloodline back to David himself if you were to look at the genealogy of Matthew, for instance. The genealogy of Matthew connects Jesus back to Abraham and then, of course, to David. And the proof there is, is that he had a descendants, that he, was, he has a bloodline where you can trace his life. So when you talk about Jesus, that's really where you start. You really have to start with, well, did Jesus really exist? Did he really exist in, in a time? And did he really exist in a place? Is there actually a historical record concerning Jesus Christ? Or is he fictitious, like Hercules or Jack of the Beanstalk? Where is he? Well, you might say, well, listen, there is a historical record of Jesus. It's called the Bible, Richard. And, and you can read about him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can read about him in all the epistles. You can read about him in, in Acts. You can read about him in every book in the New Testament, save James. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the book of James, the name Jesus is never used there, though it was written by his brother. But he's all over it in terms of implication. And so you might say, well, the historical record is that Jesus lived. But I don't believe in the Bible. So since I don't believe in the Bible, is there any other evidence that says that Jesus Christ lived? Was there any extra biblical references to the reality of Jesus? Well, back in 90 AD, there was a fellow by the name of Flavius Josephus. Well, who is this guy? Flavius Josephus was a general in the Jewish army at one time. He turned traitor and moved over to the Romans and became a Roman historian. So he has no bent towards the Jews, really, in terms of their religion. He certainly is not a, a, a Christian, and yet he is a historian. And so as a historical record, he writes about Jesus Christ. Oh, in the book of Josephus, uh, book 8, chapter 3, article 3, it talks about him. Now, you see that behind me, and you see the Greek in which he, he wrote it in. But here is it blown up called the Testimony of Flavian, or Flavianum. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a, a man. In other words, what he's saying is not that he was not a man, that he was more than just a, a man is what he's driving at. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had, him condemned him, had condemned him to a cross. 
Those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. Here's Flavius Josephus. He is not a Christian. He's probably not even a friend towards Christianity. And yet, as a historian, he says, listen, there was one, a man called Jesus. He did walk. He did surprising things. He was condemned by, by Pilate, the preferate at that time, our governor at that time. He was crucified. He was resurrected. And the tribe, Christians, still exist to this day. That was Josephus. Some of you may be fans of studying Greek literature, and maybe you've heard of this fellow behind me by the name of Lucian. Lucian of Samatsa. Uh, Let me just look at it. Samosata. And anyway, he writes an, an article, the, the Passing of uh, Peregrinus. And in this, he talks about Christianity. Now, what you need to know about Lucian is, is Lucian does not believe in Christianity. In fact, he's very hostile towards Christianity, and he thinks that anyone who's a Christian is a nut, okay? And so he, he says these words. You see, these misguided creatures start with a general conviction that they are immortal for all time which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece, and worship the crucified sage, and live after his laws. All this they take quite on faith, with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. So here you have two individuals who are not connected to Christ. They have no bent when it goes toward that. And yet outside the Bible, there says, yes, there was a man named Jesus. Yes, there was a man who was crucified. And yes, the people worship him as a resurrected a Savior. So you have beyond just the Bible itself, and there are others, but those kind of get you going, to showing that there is extra biblical curriculum or, or literature that says, listen, there was a Jesus. He did live in time and space. He was not fictional. He is real. So the next question would be, well, okay, if you believe that Jesus Christ was real, do you believe that he really died on a cross? Can you say yes to, to that? Well, both Flavius Josephus and, and Lucia, Lucian, they said that he was crucified. And the summary is that is if you were crucified, then you died. Well, for someone to die back in those days was not a strange thing. The Romans, they crucified tens of thousands of, of people. The general Cassius, who was also a proconsul in the Senate, at the top of the Senate there, there you remember, you've heard of Spartacus the Gladiator, who was a slave, who rebelled and led a huge rebellion against the empire itself. Cassius caroused him, actually, he caroused him through Julius Caesar, who was a grunt soldier at that time, but he is able to defeat Spartacus on the battlefield. And as a result of that, over a 60-mile period of road, distance of road, he crucified over 6,000 of these slaves to show contempt for them and to give a strong warning to the rest that you don't want to buck the Roman system. My point is simply this, is that people crucified in that day was not a strange thing. 
But the scripture says that Jesus was indeed crucified by Pontius Pilate, who was the procurator or governor of Palestine at that time, and that he did die on a, a cross. So do you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross? Here's the second question. Do you believe that Jesus came back from the grave? Do you believe that he's a reality? Do you believe that he died on the cross? And do you believe that he came back from the grave? Well, in order for a person to come back from the grave, you got to first have died, right? But, I mean, you just got to, you have to believe that. Do you believe that he really died on the cross? Because there's some who believe that, you know, um, don't believe in the resurrection because they don't believe he died in the first place. I can almost guarantee you, in fact, I know it's a fact because I've read too many sermons about it in terms of polemics and where there are people in the United States across the land in America who were on Easter Sunday, such as last Sunday, will tell you, listen, Jesus Christ did not resurrect from the grave. In fact, he didn't die from the die on the cross. He really just swooned there. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But he didn't die. It was a spiritual resurrection in your mind. Well, how could there when I think about that, I think that's just utter nonsense. It's nonsense. Who is going to worship? Who's going to serve a dead savior? Who is going to serve a liar? Jesus said that kill me, destroy this temple, and three days later I'm going to bring it back to life. He's talking about his Bible, his body there. Jesus said he would resurrect, that he would die, but he would resurrect. And so who would follow someone who said one thing and did another? So it goes far beyond just a spiritual kind of experience that Jesus resurrected from the grave. He actually did resurrect from the grave. Some will say, well, no, listen, Jesus just lost consciousness or swooned, and, and later he is revived in the coolness of the tomb and the followers. They nurse him back to health. I've seen that. That's called the swoon theory. I've seen that theory. I could shoot holes in that thing all day long. How did they get past a Roman guard whose job it was to make sure no one got to the body of Jesus? That's the concern that someone would, you know, would theft or steal the body of Jesus and claim him to be resurrected. So they put a guard whose lives depend on them stand in the grave. Who's going to move this huge stone out of the, the way? So many other arguments that you can do. Here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ was stone, stone cold dead when he took him off the cross and that three days later he rose back to the grave. So there are those who say, well, no, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. A number of years ago, actually the, the magazine is still in, in existence called Christianity Today. And in Christianity Today, they used to have a section in there called Dear Eutychus. Dear Eutychus was where they would ask questions of Eutychus, some kind of biblical or spiritual question, and, and he would give them an answer. It kind of like a Dear Abby kind of thing. Do they still have Dear Abby in the newspaper? I don't ever read a newspaper, but, but anyway, it's where you ask advice from. And so this girl writes to Eutychus about uh, Jesus Christ. It's called Dear Eutychus, and she says, Dear Eutychus, our pastor said on Easter Sunday that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to hell. What do you think? Signed, bewildered. Here's how Eutychus responded to her. Eutychus answered with the following, Dear bewildered, I suggest that you beat your pastor repeatedly with a cat of nine, nine uh, tails, nail him to the cross with large nails, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. Signed, Eutychus. Seriously. 
I mean, think about what happened to Jesus. He's beat on the pavement. It wasn't 39 lashes. They could just beat on him until they tired of it, got tired of, of doing so. It's called the mediary, uh, their, uh, mediary death. It means that people oftentimes died on the pavement, nevertheless making it to the cross and then have nails drive into your hands and through the ankles of your feet and have someone plunge a three-foot spear up into through your ribs, up into your heart, and you're going to come to, your, come to consciousness in the... In the tomb, it's almost laughable when you think about it. So what do you believe about the resurrection? First begins with your belief that Jesus Christ really died on that cross. In fact, it's the cross and the resurrection that separates people. There are those who say of Jesus, you know, Jesus was a good example. He did good things. He was an incredibly great moral teacher. But he didn't resurrect from the grave. But to say that he died and came back from the grave, from the dead, that's what makes all the difference, and that's what separates people. That's what separates people concerning Jesus, that Jesus actually lived and that he died and resurrected on, from the grave. If you look at verse 4, there it says that Jesus was declared as the Son of God because of his resurrection. That word declared there, to me, it doesn't quite cut it. It comes from this Greek word in Romans 1 and verse 4. It comes from the Greek word horizo. It's where we get our English word horizon from. It's a demarcation line. It's to define or determine or to declare. It's to set a boundary. And so what it's really saying there is that the horizon is where the earth begins and where the sky begins. That's the demarcation for those of you who have ever been to the West Coast and, and maybe been to the Pacific Ocean and stood on the beach at a sunset, then you know how beautiful that is. You've seen the horizon. And so you see where the earth ends, where the sky begins, the horizon. Demarcation, if you will. When it says that Jesus was declared, it's saying that Jesus was horizoned. He was declared, it was determined that he was the son of God, that he was the resurrection. And what this means is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ separates him from any other person on the face of the planet. He is the horizon. He's where life begins, ends, and where it begins again. No one else has done that. No one else has resurrected. Jesus is the only person who has ever come back from the dead and kept on living and is alive today. You say, okay, but, but what about near-death experiences? The key is the word near. Near death. That means they didn't die. Well, their heart stopped on the, on the operating table, or this happened, or that happened, but they didn't stay there. They came back to life, and they tell you about seeing the light, or seeing this, or seeing that, but it was a near-death experience. They had not died. In the scriptures, you can read about those who have, have died, I mean, you can read that Jesus resurrected Jairus' daughter, that Jesus brought back to life the widow Nain's son, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But guess what happened to all three of those? They all died again. They were alive for a while. What their experience was in the meeting, I don't know. We're not told. But they died, then they came back to life, but they died again. Jesus is the only one who has never died. Jesus is the resurrection, and he is, his resurrection is what sets him apart from all other religious uh, leaders. Islam would love it if Muhammad had come back from the death, but he didn't. 
He stayed dead. Confucius stayed dead. Buddha stayed dead. Jesus Christ is the only religious person who was, in fact, he's the only man that has ever come back to life and stayed alive after doing so. And Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and verse 2 says he's now seated at the right hand of God. So when it comes to Jesus, the, the, the resurrection, in his resurrection, there's only two positions that a person can have. Even in this room, only two positions. He's either a fact or he is a fiction. Now, listen, uh, listen, there's a lot of good people who believe that Jesus existed. Okay, a lot of really good people who believe, I believe Jesus existed. I believe he was buried, but they don't believe he resurrected. The fellow that you see behind me is the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, you know, He's admired by so many. He's one of the, the greatest minds when it came down to government or education or, or politics. But he was a deist. He wasn't a Christian. What's the difference? What's a deist? A deist is one who believes in a higher power. Are you saying that he did not believe in Jesus Christ? He believed in Jesus Christ. He did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't believe he was God. He believed that he was just an, another man. In fact, uh, Thomas Jefferson went through his Bible and he cut out every section. You can actually Google this if you want. You can see that Monticello too, by the way. You can Google his Bible where he cut out all the miraculous things in the scriptures because he didn't believe in those things. He just cut them out. He just smorgasbord his way through the scriptures and said, I don't believe that, so that comes out. He believed in Jesus and that Jesus was a great moral teacher and that his moral teachings of Jesus should be a part of our government, should be a part of our system, should be a part of the Constitution. He believed that those moral teachings were so important that they'd be a part. But he didn't believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. In fact, Thomas Jefferson in his Bible, the gospel story ends this way. The disciples laid the body of Jesus in the tomb, rolled the stone over the opening, and went away very sad. End of story. That's the end of the story with this, this guy. What sets a Christian apart is they believe that Jesus Christ literally, historically, came back from the grave, that he was resurrection, that he was a real man, that he did die on the cross, and that he came back to life on the third day. So here's the question. Do you really believe Jesus came in the flesh as a man? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross? I mean, do you really believe it? Do you believe it so much that it could change your life? Do you really believe Jesus came back from the dead and is alive today? That's what Paul is saying here in this section. He's saying, listen, he has a bloodline that you can trace back in history of this man and that he really was the one and that he was declared the son of God because of his resurrection. That's what sets him apart. And then what he does in verses 4 through 6, he begins to ask for a response or talk about a response. Look at what he says, verses 4 through 6. Who declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you were also called or belong to Jesus Christ. So 
what he's saying is, is, is that, listen, you can know in your head, you can know in your head that, that it's possible to believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, that it's a historical fact, that it's a historical event, and it never changed your mind. It's possible for that to happen. For instance, fact or fiction. Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon July the 20th, 1969. And with the words, one small step for mankind, one giant leap, or one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Fact or fiction, do you believe that? Well, some of you are shaking your head saying, yeah, I believe it. I was looking around to see if there's anyone going, nah, I don't believe that. But there are those who don't believe that. There are those who say, no, listen, Neil Armstrong did not land on the moon. That was done in a Hollywood studio is where they came up with that because if you could see the flag as close as I am here, that flag is waving. It's waving. So there's wind. There's no wind on the moon. I don't know. I've never been to the moon. But there's no wind on the moon like there's wind in a Hollywood studio. If you were to look closely at their flag, you would see the different bars that are there that cause the flag to do what it's doing. But there are those who don't believe it. They have evidence. They've heard testimony. They've seen pictures, all those things, but they say, nah, not buying that. That's a Hollywood thing. Those guys can do some amazing things in, in Hollywood. So it's possible to know something and know all the facts and all those things, but not believe it and not allow it to change you. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul says, listen, there's some marks of what a true believer is about, and it centers around three words. One is obedience, two is faith, and the other word is the word belong. That's what you see there in verses five and, and six there. So what is the mark of a true believer? Well, the mark of a true believer, number one, is that of faith. You have collected the evidence. You have seen enough evidence that causes you to say, yes, I believe it. But it's possible for a man or woman to believe Jesus was in the flesh, died on the cross, and came back from the grave and still go to hell. It really is, is possible. And the reason is because it's not what you believe. It's what you do with what you believe. It's whether you take the evidence and, and, and apply it to your heart. And your heart changes the way you speak, the way you act, the way you think. It changes you from the inside out. And so Paul says, listen, obedience doesn't come before faith. Faith comes before obedience. Faith produces obedience. And obedience causes us to belong to something or to belong to someone. So when you talk about belief in Jesus, you're talking about total trust. You're not talking about a mental agreement. Okay? It's more than than that so you can believe all the statements about jesus in your head but not but you but but you don't trust him and it's not until you trust him or entrust your life to him that it becomes someone that is real to you let me see if i can explain it to you this way what is trust well let's take for instance an airplane there are those who are fearful of flying in fact faith in jesus is like flying in a lot of ways there are those who are fearful of flying. I'm not, I'm not, you know, disparaging you in any way. I get it if you're afraid to fly. I have friends that are afraid to fly. But you're afraid to fly. But you believe it. You believe that people fly. I mean, you can go down to, to the Boise Airport, to BOI down there, and you can go there on a Monday or a Tuesday, and you can spend several days there watching planes take off and, and planes land. And you can say to yourself, I, I believe that. I see that. 
I see that there is a plane that's going up and down, so I believe in airplanes. I believe there was a pilot that got them up and down. I believe in the law of aerodynamics. But I'm not getting on that airplane. You believe it in your head. You're convinced in your head. But it doesn't become something that is real to you until you act on what you believe. So when does that happen? Well, it doesn't ha- it, your belief doesn't become something real to you until you actually walk down the causeway, walk into the airplane, go inside the, inter- the, the fuselage, go and sit down in a seat, buckle yourself up, and the thing taxis down the road, and it takes off. That becomes something that is real to you now. That becomes the real deal. Well, faith in Jesus is the same kind of thing. You can believe Jesus Christ was alive, a historical character. You can believe he died on the cross. You can believe he resurrected. But if it doesn't change who you are and how you think and what you do with your life, then it's of, of no need whatsoever. You can believe that you know, Jesus uh, instituted his church. And you can say to yourself, you know, I believe that, but I don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. Okay, where'd you get that from? The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as, uh, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, even more as we see the day approaching. Hebrews 10 and verse 25. That's what the Bible says. Well, I believe that Jesus said you should be a good neighbor, but you know what? There are some people that just get all over me, and I just can't do that. Well, the Bible said that you're to love your neighbor. Jesus said to love your neighbor. Jesus said you're even to love your pray and, and, and love and pray for your enemies. Well, The Bible says that you ought to be baptized, but I don't think a person has to be baptized to be saved. Well, Jesus said you had to be. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and preach the gospel to all creation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. On the day of Pentecost, Peter in his first gospel sermon, when he asked, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. I, I see it. I believe it, but I'm not going to do it. Well, then it's not full faith. It's not completely there. The second mark of a true believer is not only faith, but it's also obedience. But faith that does not obey is a faulty faith. You obey Jesus because you put your faith and your total trust in him. Uh, It becomes a part of who you are. It becomes etched on your soul, and you act on it because of it. When I was going to school in, in Dallas, I went to church, uh, attended church at the Cedar Hill Church of Christ there. And we had a preacher, and his name was Dean Kilmer. Lovely man, great guy. One of the most positive guys I've ever known. He and Shelby Kreider would have been great friends. But super positive. And Dean Kilmer, for the, for the two years that I was there, every Sunday morning he began his sermon by saying, This is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, verse 14. This is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. He said that every Sunday. 102 times I heard that verse of Scripture. This is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Two things result because of that. One is you go, oh no. Here we go again with that verse. And it takes a little bit of the shine off of it. The second thing is more positive. That verse is etched in my mind. It's in my mind. I'll never forget that, that this is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. There are some things that you hear over and over again that get etched in your mind, and you can't can't get rid of them. 
Songs are like that. You ever had a song that gets you in your mind and you can't turn the thing off? It just, you just keep rewinding that thing. You wake up with it. You know, you've dreamed about it in your in your sleep and you wake up and you sing that thing all day long. Uh, there are songs like that, like this one behind me, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You'll be singing that all day today now. That stuff gets etched in, in your mind. Truth is like that. Truth always leads to obedience. Truth changes the way you see things, the way you, the way you think about things. But not to be obedient to your faith, that's a faulty faith. Faith always leads to obedience, which is the third mark of a true believer, and that is relationship. That is a relationship. Look at verse 6. And you are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. Belonging is super important when you think about it. For instance, if you were to, um, if you were to, your family went ahead of you and they went to the restaurant and you show up a little bit late and you go up to the maitre d' and you say, listen, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here to eat dinner. And they said, do you have a reservation? And you say, well, no, I don't. You see those people over there at that table? I belong to those people over there. My wife sees me, sees that I'm talking with the maitre d'. She gets up and she walks over to me and she says to the maitre d', he belongs to me. I belong to her. There's a relationship that is is there. That's what that is talking about. He is saying because of Jesus' reality, because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, there is a relationship that is caused because of our obedience to our faith that causes us to eventually to belong. The question then has to do with belonging, belonging, belonging to Jesus. And so my question for you this morning is, do you belong to Jesus personally? Do you belong to him personally? Do, do you know him on a personal level? More important than that question probably is the question, does he know you? Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many wonderful works? And then I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of evil or you workers of your own law. I think some say you're workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That verse of scripture ought to make your spiritual soul go cold if you are in doubt of your relationship with Jesus Christ because guess who is he talking to there? He's talking to religious people. He's not talking to non-religious people. He's talking to religious people who think they know him. And Jesus says, I know, I never knew you. You may have known me, but I didn't know you. That's important when you think about who you are and what you are. Let me see if I can make this make a little bit more sense to you. Does anyone in this room know George Washington personally? Don't raise your hand because you'll look silly if you keep on with this. But do you know him personally? I mean, do you know this guy here? Do, do you believe that George Washington was a revolutionary general? Do you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States? Do you believe that George Washington crossed the Delaware? Do you believe that George Washington had wooden teeth? Do you believe George Washington cut down the cherry tree? Eh, probably not. Do you believe that? Well, that's what you believe, but do you know him personally? You know a lot about George Washington, but you don't know him personally. Why is that? 
Why is it you cannot know him personally? You know history, but you can't know him personally. Why is that? Because he's dead. He's dead. He is a historical character, but you can't know him. But Jesus is different from that. You can know Jesus personally. So, no, I can't. Yes, you can. Why can't you know him? Because he's dead. No, he's not. Jesus is not dead. He is alive, seated at the right hand of God, and that's why you can have a personal relationship uh, with him. That's why you can know him. That's why he is your advocate. That's why he intercedes for you. That's why he cares for you. That's, you know, all those things about Jesus is there where he personally is involved in our, our lives. So here's a sequence, if you will, of coming to know Jesus that Paul lays out here. Here's how you respond to Jesus personally. Number one, there's faith that he really did exist, that he died, buried, resurrected, seated at the right hand of God's coming again, and that he's the savior of the world and savior for your sins, which produces obedience. Now you're going to act upon that obedience, which produces a relationship with him. So what does that look like? Well, listen to this. Generally, we just look at verse 17, but notice what verses 15 and 16 says. He, that is Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from the human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely as a, from a human point of view. We just thought he was a man, but we found out he's more than that. We found out that he's a son of God. And he proves that by dying on the cross and resurrecting on the third day and ascending into heaven and leaving us the promise of eternal life. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So how does that new life begin? How does that new life begin? How do you, how do you become obedient to what you believe? Well, Paul tells them over in Romans, the sixth chapter, verse one and two, you know, he says, shall we sin so that grace might increase? And he says, may it never be. I think the King James says, God forbid. But here's what he goes on to say. He says, or do you not know that all of us, he's speaking to Christians in Rome, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through the glory of the Father so that we might walk in what? Newness of life. Why is it newness of life? How did that life change? How did you become a new creature? Well, Paul says, as well as Peter says, that it happens at the moment when one is baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. Acts 2 and verse 38 says that. You remember on that first day, day one of the church, uh, Peter had preached the first gospel sermon about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He said to them that you have crucified the Son of God, whom God has raised from the dead, as it made him both Lord and Christ. And it says that they were pricked in their hearts, touched in their hearts, and they said to the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, here's what you do, repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to encourage them, and in verse 41, over 3,000 people were immersed into Christ. Acts 22 and verse 16, I don't have that up there, but that's Paul's conversion, and Ananias says to him, what are you waiting for, Paul? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 
And so baptism is a reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. As Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the grave, and rose on the third day, the resurrected man. So he says we die to ourselves and repent. We're buried in the watery grave of baptism. We rise to walk in newness of life because our sins are washed away. That's the promise that is given to us, and that's how you become obedient to the faith. So Jesus Christ, fact or fiction? Listen, I can't force you to believe that Jesus Christ lived and died and was resurrected and that he's the Savior. I can't force you to believe any of that. God won't even force you to believe that. God doesn't have a computer in heaven with Windows 10 on it that has, pushes a button and says, enter here, and that person becomes a believer. It doesn't work that way. You have free choice, free will. You get to choose whether you're going to accept the fact that Jesus Christ is a reality and that he resurrected, that he died on the cross, that he resurrected in order to give you a hope of heaven and that he promises that he's prepared a place for you at the end of this life, that he's coming back again. That's a faith thing, but faith leads to obedience and obedience leads to having a relationship with him that ends in eternity. But the decision, of course, is always yours, and your response is always yours. And you can respond right now if you need to, while together we stand and while we sing and give you opportunity.